Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Our mission as a church is to show Jesus to the world. We don't want to just speak about Jesus. We don't want to even just gather around Jesus. We want to show Jesus to our world and the world. This is our mission statement as a church. And I pray they see it in our actions. I pray they see it in our lifestyle. I pray they see it on our our social profiles. I pray they see it at work. I'm not asking for you to be perfect. I'm just asking for you to be redeemed forgiven, you're being changed, and Jesus is showing through you more and more and more. Can you say amen? And you got to know, this awesome mission statement is actually uh, a pretty ancient mission statement. It's not something that we got, you know, got together around a, a board uh, room table and came up with. It's not something that we paid for, some, some logo people or brand people to come up with. It actually is just a rephrasing of the great mission that Jesus gave for us to have. The great co-mission, because it's not just our mission, it's also his mission, and together it is a co-mission. Jesus and you. Jesus and his church. This is the mission of Jesus Christ. And I, I gotta tell you, I preach on the great commission a lot here at our church, and I gotta, I gotta say, just get ready. I'm gonna preach on it 10 plus times a year. Just mark it on the calendar. And I gotta tell you why, because I think it is just like the, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most important uh, documented words ever spoken by a human being, so the Great Commission is the most important command that you will ever receive by anyone in your entire life, and within that command contains your purpose, that by following the Great Commission, you find yourself. You find who you are and what you were made to be, your talents, your gifting, your design. You find it in the Great Commission. And I I love the Great Commission because it comes at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? It it, it doesn't come right at the beginning. It comes comes after he's baptized. It comes after he preaches his parables, after the healings, after the death, burial, and resurrection, all the way up until the last moment when he's about to ascend into heaven and ascend into the right hand of the throne. That's the moment where Jesus says, this is the very last thing I have for you to do. That's important. These are the last words of Jesus before ascending into heaven. Here is what I have for you to do. It's called the Great Commission. I want to read it to you in Matthew chapter 10. If you could put that up, sorry, uh, 28, Matthew 28 verse 18, it says this. Then Jesus came close to them. I want you to know this. Jesus is not a long way off from you. Jesus is not trying to keep his distance. He's not like, he's not like an older brother that's keeping his hand to your head keeping you at a distance. That's not God. Sometimes we think that is God because we think our sin is what separates us from Christ. Not understanding that Jesus knew that and Jesus conquered that sin and therefore closed that gap. So Jesus is not looking for you to suffer. Jesus is not looking for you to be frustrated. Jesus is not frustrated at you. He's not angry. He's not like a disappointed dad. That's not God. God is someone that comes close to you comes into the middle of your circumstances. Can I say this? Good and bad. In the middle of your joyful circumstances, Jesus is there. On your very best day, when you're killing it and you're having fun, Jesus is there. And he loves it. And on your very worst day, in that very worst hour, in the dark night of the soul, you are not alone. He's close to you. You do not serve a Savior that is a long way off. 
You do not serve a distant dad. You have someone that loves you, is for you, and is intimately connected in your life. Yes, you may be the prodigal son, but don't forget what happened when the prodigal came over that hill. The Bible says the father was looking for him. Yeah, you have a father that is searching for you. He's, he's, he's aware of your comings and your goings. He knows what you're dealing with and what you're about to deal with and what you've already deal with. He knows the future from the, from the past. He knows the end from the beginning. He is a God that wants to come close to you. And you think you are going to come to church to get close to him. No, no. It was him that wants to come close to you. And this is what Jesus does right at the end. He comes close to his disciples. And he says this, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to be perfect or incredible or super talented, skilled, anointed, prophetic. No, it's his authority. It's his completed work. And now he says, now go and represent me. This is helping you. This is helping you. This is making sense past the second row. Are you with me? I can see you. You know, I can see every single thing you do. I see your face. I know your names. I see your kids moving all around. I see when you're texting and sleeping and when you're amening. Let's go positive. When you're saying, I agree. Sounds good, Jordan. I'm with you. Let's go. I see when you're attentive. I see when you're trying to agree. I see when you're getting convicted. Let's move on. Now, go in my authority. Jesus says, now go, go, go somewhere, do something. Jesus is a God of action. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, not just a few people, not just a chosen people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues across all time. Now go and make disciples of everyone, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, when people are getting baptized in this church, we will be fulfilling the Great Commission on a Sunday morning. It's amazing. He says this, and teach them to faithfully follow. I pray we have a room filled of faithful followers. I pray we have a church filled of faithful followers. We might not be perfect, but we're faithful. We might not always get it right, but we're doing our best to remain faithful because he was once faithful. He was first faithful to us. The Bible says, one of my favorite verse, even when you're not faithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So even when you slip and fall, he remains faithful and allows you to become faithful again. Come on, stay steady. Stay consistent. Get back up. Keep trying. Forgive them. Forgive yourself. Faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. Because God has many good things for you, and his promises are yes and amen. They are good and gooder. God has good things for you. So he says, faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. You know, what does the Bible say? Obedience is better than sacrifice. You say, God, look at all that I've done. God says, I'm not looking for, for, for all of your bleeding and your pain and your hurt and your, your, your gumption and your try. God says, just faithfully follow. Just obey me. Just get to know me. Just come close to me. Faithfully follow me. Because when you begin to know Jesus, you begin to discover yourself. When you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to figure out who you are. I believe this. We are called to make Jesus famous. We exist to make Jesus famous. For the next two weeks, I want to talk to you about this subject. Making Jesus famous. Only he deserves it. He demands it. Only he can handle it. The reality is our lives exist for his glory. Jesus alone is worthy 
of our worship and of our praise. And it's amazing when we worship like this. Every Sunday, there's a cleansing that happens. There's a realignment that happens. There's a reawakening that happens. Why? Because all of the sudden, you're tapping in to the reason that you exist, which is to lift Jesus up. It goes deeper than anything else. It's a far wider emotion than anything else. It touches your body, your mind, and your soul. This, this, this concept of worshiping, worshiping Jesus is irreplaceable by any other thing in life. There's no ambition that you can attain that could take the place of this need, this instinct to lift Jesus up. There's no career. There's no accolade. There's no trophy that you could win. There's no substance that you could take. There's no relationship that you could get into that could replace this deep, instinctual, divine design within you, which is to lift the name of Jesus up with your life with your influence, with your speech, with your words, with your actions, you exist to make Jesus famous. You breathe and live to make Jesus famous. And so many of us, we're searching for our meaning in life, our purpose, our reason for existence. The Christians call it our calling. We're searching for this thing, but can I tell you, it is found not in self, but in Savior. Your calling, your, your reason for existence, your meaning is found in lifting Jesus up into first place. As long as you are first in your life, nothing will make sense. You will be blind. You will be stumbling around, living in a fog of an existence. But when you begin to put Jesus first, your priorities come into alignment. Your life comes into alignment. Your relationships, your speech, your heart, your emotions, he begins to process you from the inside out. Jesus alone deserves the fame. And we exist to make Jesus famous. This is why we've been put on planet Earth. When you meet Jesus, you figure out where you are positionally in life. He is the sun, and you are only the moon. You are not the source of light. You exist to reflect the light into a dark place and a dark night. You are a converter of the light, but he is the source. He is the center. He is the magnificence. Jesus says, if you're searching for God, you found it with me. I am the light of the world. And we exist only to extend that light to people who desperately need that light. Jesus alone deserves the fame. Read the scriptures. Every time an angelic being, a supernatural being, appeared to someone in the Old Testament or the New Testament, every time that they appeared, the person would fall down on their face in reverential fear and begin to worship that angel. But every single time the angel said, absolutely not, get up right now because I am only the messenger. He is God. He alone is worthy of your worship. Though the angels seem to be above us, they do not deserve our worship. They are only supernatural servants, much like you and I. Jesus is not just an angelic being. He's not a guru, a philosopher, or a teacher. He is more than that. He is God himself. And he deserves your adoration. He deserves your mind. He deserves your heart. It all is about Jesus. Even Jesus speaking to the Pharisees say you've missed the whole point of the Old Testament. Every parable, every story, every law, every proverb, every psalm, every character points to me. 
It all is about me. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Jesus over everything. And the very night that Jesus was born, those same angels that would cause us to want to worship them, they showed up on earth and began to worship him. Why? Because Jesus alone is worthy of your worship. He alone. When, when Joshua was going to take uh, the city, he, he was gathering, preparing for war. And he went off to a distance and, and he began to pray. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord's army, which is a prefigure of Jesus Christ, arrives. And, and Joshua seeing him, he says, are you for me or are you against me? Really, that's a question a lot of us ask on a daily basis of God. God, are you for me or against me? If we're having a good day, it seems like he's for us. If we're having a bad day, it seems like he's against us. If we're doing good, he's for us. If we screwed up, he must be against us. We have a misunderstanding of who God is. We're like Joshua saying, I'm not quite sure. I'm having a difficult time seeing you through the haze and through the darkness and through the blurriness. Are you for me or are you against me? And he answers, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord's army. What's he saying? He's saying it's not about you. It's not about you. For you or against you, that's all you. I'm the commander of the Lord's armies. I'm the captain of his hosts. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I sit at his right hand. And I am the only one who it's about. The Bible says, as far as the heavens is from the earth, so his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Here's the truth. Jesus alone is worthy of your adoration. Jesus alone is worthy of your life. Jesus alone deserves the fame, the influence, the glory. Put it this way. Our lives exist for his glory. Your life exists for his glory. And as long as you're the center, you're going to have problems. Because it's not how you were designed and you were designed. You were created with a purpose and a likeness like God. You were designed for worship. And you were not designed to worship others. Designed to worship culture. Designed to worship fame. Designed to worship celebrity. Designed to worship society. And certainly you were not des designed to worship self. But you were designed to worship. You were not designed to worship Zeus. You were not designed to worship the ancient gods. You were not designed to worship the sun, the moon, the stars. But you were designed to worship. You were not designed to worship education. You were not designed to worship philosophy. You were not designed to worship your body. You were not designed to worship food, but you were designed to worship. You were not designed to worship sex. You were not designed to worship self. You were not designed to worship your family, but you were designed to worship. When God created you, he created you as a worshipful being. And he has the purpose of your worship. And until you begin to understand that, your whole life is going to be spinning. But when you come into alignment, saying, I know who I am. I am not first. I am second. I am not foremost. I am latter. I am not sun. I am moon. You alone are worthy of my worship. When you get that revelation, everything begins to change. God builds a movement on that revelation. Jesus says, I'll build my church. Sometimes as preachers, we can say, I'll make it happen. Jesus says, no thanks. I'll make it happen. You get to help because you were designed to worship, but I am the one that's worthy of worship.
Think of the time where the king, David, the greatest Israelite king, he said out loud to himself, he said, oh, I wish I could just have a a cup of water from Bethlehem, that little city where I grew up. And, And it was covered with a foreign army, Philistine army in Bethlehem, but three mighty men because Because great leaders, they raise up mighty men and women around them. Three mighty men, they just heard the wish of their king. They heard just the desire of their king. And they set out across the land. They fought their way through the ranks of the Philistines. They got the water from the well, fought their way back, holding the water. You ever play that game where you have to hold the egg and walk? These guys are fighting people holding water. Not to spill it. Bring it all the way back up to David. And when David receives this water, he says, I am unworthy of this. You gave your life for this water. You gave your life that I might, you gave your life on something that was just a whim of mine. I'm not worthy of this. So he took that water and he poured it out as a sacrifice, as a praise offering before the Lord. Why? Because David understood something. I am not worthy of the life of others. I'm not worthy of their adoration and their affirmation. And might I say this? It's a dangerous thing when you begin to drink of the affirmation, the adoration, and the love of others. It's a dangerous drink. It's a drink that only leaves you more thirsty than when you began. It's an addictive drink. Affirmation is an addictive drink, and it never leaves you satisfied. And when David, who's got the heart of God, receives that, that life of his men, In that water, he says, I'm not worthy of this. I may be a king, but I'm not the king of kings. And he pours out the water before God. But God is worthy of your life. God is worthy of your fight. God is worthy of your worship. In fact, Jesus, he's the only one that would be worthy of your life because he bought your life, the Bible says. And he paid a high price. He has ransomed you away from the enemy. It's amazing. Jesus is not only worthy of the, the water of your life. Jesus is the one that fought through the enemy's front lines. He is the one that crossed from heaven down to earth, fought through the enemy, went behind enemy lines. He is the one that drew up the water of living life. And he says, if you drink of this, you will be forever cleansed. You will be forever filled. What am I saying? I'm saying Jesus is the only one worthy of our worship. He's the only one worthy of our outpouring because he's the one that gave us the life in the first place. He gave us the grace in the first place. He gave us mercy in the first place. When you were a long way off, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He came after you. He loved you. What am I saying? I'm saying he alone should be first in your life. And anything that begins to get in the way of that is unworthy of your existence. Jesus alone deserves the fame. He should be first. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming over the ridge, he declared to everybody as the prophet, now here comes the Lamb of God, and he comes to take away the sins of the world. And from that moment on, John the Baptist said, and now my ministry is over, because I was only here to prepare the way for him. Make no mistake, John the Baptist, Jesus said, was one of the greatest prophets who has ever lived. He said, like him, there is no other. He is an incredible prophet, but when he saw Jesus, he says, no, I'm not the fullness. It's not all about me anymore. It's not about my talent, my work, or my God-given gift. It's now about him. Behold the lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world. And he says, from this moment on, he must become greater, and I must become less. He must become more, and I must become less. Why? Because when you meet Jesus, you figure out who you are. 
and how you are to be oriented in this life. You, when you have an experience with Jesus, you begin to understand it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. Behold the lamb who comes to take away the sins of the whole world. If not for Jesus, where would we be? If not for him, what would we do? If not for him, we would be lost as ever. Behold the lamb. It's him. Jesus is first. We are second. And he alone deserves the fame. And I got to tell you this. Wherever Jesus moves, wherever God works, wherever he moves, whenever he begins to do something, his fame begins to spread. Whenever God moves, his fame begins to spread. It's actually mentioned two times in the Bible. As Jesus is doing his miracles and preaching his par parables, the Bible says, and his fame spread all throughout Galilee. There's just no stopping it. Because when God moves, his disciples, the people that he changes, the people that he interacts with, you can't help but tell about what you've seen and heard. You know what's even funny is Jesus actually even tells them, hey, don't tell anybody. He heals people and then says, don't tell anybody I healed you. He raises people from the dead and says, just keep this between you and me, all right? Don't tell anybody outside. Can you imagine agreeing to that? You know, you just got raised from the dead and you can't tell anybody? Come on. You know, we can't keep any secrets. But coming back from the afterlife, he heals a per someone that's blind. The guy, he's off in the temple, and instantly everyone starts asking him, hey, what happened? What happened? And he says, ah, Jesus. It was Jesus. Guys, it was him. And they're saying, well, Pharisees start saying, well, wasn't it on the Sabbath? Was that technically all right? And, and, and how, how, can, how can he heal? Is he, who gave him the authority to do that? They start questioning the healing. They start questioning the person. And all he keeps saying is, it's not about me. I once was blind, then I met Jesus. Now it's all about him. And the Pharisees, the religious, they all want to get caught in the technos. They say, bring his parents in. Bring his parents. Parents, what's wrong with this guy? What, wasn't, he, wasn't he blind? What, what happened? Was he a sinner? Was he, what, what's going on? Is it your fault? And they're saying, we don't know. Ask him. And he's saying, I don't know. Ask Jesus. The reality is once you meet Jesus, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to be perfect. All you have to do is say, before I met Jesus, I was in a lot of trouble. But after I met Jesus, I just continually get to point to him. It's him. It's him. And it's like, it's like that's, that's what Jesus does. When he begins to work in people, it just starts to get out there. I pray what happens in this church and in your life just starts to get out there. His fame just begins to spread. As Jesus begins to move, things just begin to happen. Even in, when Jesus was telling everybody, don't tell what I just did. They're like, oh, okay. But they went anyways because there's just an underground movement. You can't help but talk about what Jesus is saying. But now after the Great Commission, Jesus isn't saying to not tell. Because at that point, he's saying, look, it's not my time yet, but it's time did come. And he died on that cross, and he resurrected from that ground, and he comes before us in the Great Commission. He says, now's the time. Go into all the world. Tell them about who I am. Preach to them. Make disciples. Baptize them and bring them to me. Why? So that he might get all the glory. He might get all the fame, for he is worthy, worthy, worthy. Amen? You say amen, church? Come on, wherever God is moving, wherever God is moving, his fame begins to spread. Because saved people save people.
found people find people. Creation points to creator. When you have an encounter with Jesus, your whole life becomes about Jesus. We got Awakening Youth tonight. My, my prayer for young people is just to have one experience with Jesus. One experience. Because that's all it takes. One experience turns you from Saul to Paul. One experience turns you from Abram to Abraham. One experience turns you from Jacob to Israel. One experience. One experience changes your life. And now you begin to say, not to us, as the psalmist says, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever and ever and ever. Can you say amen, church? Amen. Amen. Will you stand on your feet? I pray that we are a church that is obsessed with knowing God and showing God to the whole world. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.